you have a Bible, open it to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Who's the worst person that you've ever met? You don't have to tell me, especially if it's me or the person next to you. Nobody, nobody wants to know. But who's the worst person you've ever met? Who's the worst person you could ever think of? And don't say Hitler, because that's like the easy answer, right? I don't know, Hitler. Hitler was bad. Yes, but who's the worst person you've ever met? Who's done the most wrong to you? This morning, the, the part of the Bible we're in is going to talk about one of the worst people in the whole nation of Israel and how God interacted with that person. Mark chapter 2, verse 13 says that once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach. Now, before we get into the rest of our passage, see the, 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 the good side about going through the Bible is that we talk about stuff that we may not want to talk about, but God wants us to talk about. Um, the downside though, is sometimes things don't always fit neatly. So here's this one verse that has nothing to do with the rest of the story, but it's there. It's not connected to last week's passage. It's not really connected to this week's. It's just this happened. The crowds were getting so big that Jesus couldn't fit into a town, so he would go out into the countryside by, when it says the lake, it's like the Sea of Galilee. It always is the Sea of Galilee when it says the lake or something big body of water. I grew up in Seattle. If you live in Seattle... And they, and they say, the mountain is out. Nobody asks, which mountain are you talking about? There's a lot of mountains you can see from the city of Seattle, but it's only one Mount Rainier. So they're out by the Sea of Galilee. Probably Jesus is sitting at the lake shore, maybe in a boat, and there's these sort of rolling hills that go up from the water. It creates a natural amphitheater. It's a great place if you have a large crowd. The reason I am mentioning it is this. Having a large crowd out in a deserted place is not a good idea. There's no services. There's no food. In fact, in a few weeks when we get to the feeding of the 5,000, that whole issue comes up because they're out in the middle of nowhere away from a city. And, and here, here's the point I want to make. I grew up in a big church, a couple thousand people. And I've spent most of my adult life in a smaller church, 150 or less. Sometimes people in smaller churches can not understand the logistical issues that bigger churches have. And sometimes people in bigger churches can't understand the logistical issues that small churches have. And so this is just a good reminder that we don't view ourselves in competition with any other church in the area. We don't, I don't want us to be the kind of church that goes, can you believe what those guys are doing? We don't have their issues. They don't have our issues. And I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, you know, m most Wednesday mornings, I'm with the other pastors in the area praying together. Um, the relationships we've built, we did that joint service uh, this last summer. I think we're going to do it again this next summer with like six, seven other churches. And they got all kinds of issues. And we got all kinds of issues. 
But the reason that Jesus is doing something is just a practical need. Hey, there's just too many people to fit into a town. You can see from what we studied last week that Jesus probably would have preferred a smaller setting, but that just wasn't in the cards. So, totally off subject from what we're talking about this morning, but it's like, well, what do you do with that one verse? Well, I think it's worth saying that just because one church does another thing and you know this church does that and we do this, why aren't they doing what we do? Because God's called them to do something different. Isn't that cool? Totally off subject. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. Now, he's done with that church service. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Jesus went having, oh, sorry, and while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, he asked the disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So verse 14, Jesus is walking probably back to town after this big outdoor church of Palooza thing that has just happened. And he sees Levi, the tax collector. Now, all of us have only ever lived in a free country, right? I've, I've met people, I've known people who grew up under oppression of some kind. I've spent time in former communist countries and I've talked to people who grew up knowing that there was a secret police, that there were informants, um, I've, I've talked to, I remember uh, when I was uh, in elementary school, my, my friend Jeremy uh, was born in South Africa. And his family, his mom was from America, his, his dad was South African, and his family had moved to the States because they got tired of living in a police state. And, and they would have the police follow them and, and because they would go to like an anti-apartheid meeting and then they'd have, you know, the police hassling them and they'd go, all right, this is time for us to go back to America where where your mom's from. But we've only ever lived in a free country. If you lived in Israel, in Jesus' day, you were not free. You were occupied. The Roman Empire had conquered you. And there were troops that could come through and just do whatever they wanted to do. You had no justice. Your, your leaders, you may have a king of Israel, but he is the puppet leader that the Romans have set up. You don't have a say, you don't have a vote, you're not free. But here's the thing about being occupied. Occupiers need collaborators. And imagine that you lived in Belgium, that you lived in the Netherlands, that you lived in France, you lived somewhere during World War II, and the Nazis came and took over your country, and your neighbor, you know, Jim Bob, Jim Bob down the street, every day starts going to the local Nazi headquarters, 
And he's not just working for them, he's working with them. So that your other neighbor, neighbor Carol, crossed the way one night because Jim Bob said, hey, you, you better take Carol out. They come and take her away. And then one day, your neighbor Jim Bob, he comes and he says, you owe the, the Germans taxes. Well, how much do I owe? Well, here's the thing. In, in the Roman times, let's say that they only owed $5. Levi and other tax collectors like him, they weren't paid by the Romans. So they made their money off of whoever they could. So they might come to you and say, oh, you owe $10. Five for me, five for the Romans. And you can see where there would be all kinds of opportunity for corruption and injustice because maybe you're an important person or a person that they want to, uh, you know, get some kind of deal from. And so, you know, they come and they say, how much do you owe in taxes? Oh, you're good, man. Don't pay. I'll get it out of the guy next door. How much do I owe? Fifteen. Five for you, five for your neighbor, five for me. So Levi is a traitor because he's working with the occupiers. He's a collaborator because he's not just working for them, but he's working with them. And he's a thief because his whole business model is based off of whatever he can steal off the top. He's literally one of the worst people in his whole country. He's a thief. He's a traitor. He's a collaborator. People have suffered because of him. And Jesus comes along, and Jesus, it says he was sitting at the tax collector's booth. It wasn't like um, Jesus just met him on a park bench and had no idea who he was. Jesus knew who Levi was and what he did. And he looks at him and he says, follow me. Now here's the thing to think about. Levi would have known who Jesus was. I mean, there are so many people coming to see Jesus that they have to go out to the middle of nowhere to have enough space. People knew at this point, they knew who Jesus was. So Jesus, when he says, follow me to Levi, he knows exactly who this guy is. And when Levi follows Jesus, he knows what he's getting into, at least as much as anybody could at that point. Jesus called sinners like us to follow him. And to do that, to call people, sinners like us, to follow Jesus, we have to serve the sick even when the healthy object. Here's what I mean by that. Because after Levi follows him, they all go to Levi's house for a meal. But in those days, if, and, and it's not too different from today, well, I wouldn't associate with that kind of person. Why is Jesus doing that? Why is Jesus eating with those horrible people? Because if you're a horrible person, like Levi was, the only people who will be your friends are other horrible people. It's, it's like a, um, it's a vicious, it really is a vicious cycle. That, that if you are, a terrible person, and then somebody says, well, I'm not going to be friends with that person. So then who are you friends with? Other terrible people. So who are his friends? Other tax collectors, other traders, other collaborators, and the prostitutes. 
And so he's friends with what would be considered the worst people in their society. And Jesus goes and he eats with them. Because those are Levi's friends. And Jesus came to save the lost. So Levi follows Jesus and he wants his friends, if you're filling in the notes, he wants his friends to know Jesus too. I believe that there's, there's some real world truth to this. If you're part of, uh, let's say you're, you're in the, the Carpenters Union. Let's say you're a student at Rex Putnam. Let's say that you work at a, a dentist office. Let's say that you are a member at a gym. These are all communities that you have access to. And as you follow Jesus, you can provide the opening for Jesus to come and connect with that community. Well, does that mean that I have to like go through a whole sermon to my friends? No. But all of us can be witnesses of Jesus. All of us have an opportunity to answer a question, to uh, offer to pray with somebody. It's amazing what that can do. I, I am well known as somebody that does not like the fact that I can't pump my own gas. All right. I was up in Washington for Christmas, see my family. So happy. But the other day, I was at the gas station, and uh, the guy took my card and, and my, you know, discount code number and all that stuff. And I said, how's it going, man? And he said, ah. And I could tell he didn't, wasn't having a good day. And I said, hey, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? And the look on his face was like, yes. I didn't tell him I was a pastor. I didn't tell him, you know, anything like that. I just said, hey, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? Something as simple as that. And then all of a sudden, he, he held out his hand. He wanted to, like, I was like, okay, I'm going to hold his hand now. So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my car, holding the, the gas station attendant's hand. I don't know what his coworkers thought of this. He had to deal with that. But I prayed for him. And you never know the opportunity that you have because we say, well, the pastor's going to do it. He's the professional Christian. I'm not on the job site with you. Rex Putnam High School doesn't want me on the campus. But you're there. And he had all these friends, and they could follow Jesus too. And we, well, I don't want to associate with that kind of person. We'll get to that in a minute. I think there are some good parameters for this kind of association. But what would it look like if all of a sudden the neighborhood drug dealer stops selling drugs? What would it look like if the dude who's abusing his family stops abusing? What would it look like if the person who is the hardest to love all of a sudden becomes the most loving person you've ever met. Because that's the kind of life change we're talking about. And it's the kind of life change we've seen. Some of us are living stories, living testimonies of what God can do. There's nobody God can't reach. And Jesus here gives us our model for outreach. Because, quite honestly... I have, I have heard some 
ideas about this sort of thing that I, I think are foolish and unbiblical, but Jesus gives us a model. He goes out and he finds the lost. He goes out and he finds Matthew, Levi. Now, I'm a, sorry, here he's called Levi. That's his, when you're dealing with multiple languages, Levi is his Hebrew name. Matthew, which is how everybody knows him, Gospel of Matthew, would have been more his Greek name. But he goes to Levi and he says, follow me. He goes and he finds the lost. But I want you to notice something. Jesus wasn't there by himself. When the Pharisees object, what do they say? When the Pharisees object, they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And he says this to his disciples who are also there eating. We reach the lost, but we do it in community. We do it in community. We do it together. No lone rangers. I, I've known people who said, oh, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to reach these, this, you know, I'm going to go to this place, I'm going to reach these people, and then the next thing you know, they're bogged down in the same sin. But if we do things together, we can hold each other up together. We can bear one another's burdens together. Uh, I was, uh, I was, I haven't always been a pastor. And, uh, when Angie and I first got married, um, I was working a secular job. I had been developing relationships with coworkers and it was one of the coworkers' birthday and everybody was going out to this bar after work. So I, I, I call Angie and I say, Hey, I think I'm, I think I need to go to this thing. I think I need to be part of this. Right. And, um, so I went and, uh, and I was there, but even though I was there by myself, Angie knew where I was the whole time, right? There was a, a connection. There was a community. There was a, hey, should I do this thing? I think I should. We talked about it. Yeah, Adam, you can go. Because I'm not there. I might be there by myself, but I'm not there alone. I'm not there disconnected. And I'm not going back the next night by myself. You know what I mean? Like, there was a reason why I was there. Oh, I'm going to hang out with this group of friends and, and, you know, I just want to be a good light to them. Yeah, you're off there by yourself, totally disconnected from any other Christian. And then the next thing you know, everything that your friends are doing, you're doing too. And I, you, oh, he's talking to the high schoolers. Maybe, but I've met a lot of 50-year-olds. It's the same thing. Jesus went out and grabbed the lost. I think Jesus could have gone by himself because he's Jesus. But all throughout the Gospels and all throughout the New Testament, the model consistently is doing things together, being a team. I'm, I'm really thankful. I, when I first got here, um, there was a thing, this lady needed prayer and she's bedridden. But I was like, you know, I'm not going over to some lady's house by myself. So Yvonne came with me. I called Yvonne up. And she's wonderful, and she, 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 she drove me over there, which was scary, but I lived and, <laughs> okay, I'm in trouble now. But Yvonne drove me over there, and we went over and we prayed for her together. And I told Angie, hey, Angie, I, I, I've got to do this thing, and she was working or whatever, and I said, hey, um, I'm, I'm bringing Yvonne. She's like, that's great. So Yvonne and I went over, we prayed together. I think that's the model, right? That we are a part of these things, that we're doing things. That's why small groups are so important. 
Because how else do we know people in the church to do things together if we're not connected to other people? And we're connected to people primarily through spending time together. I was reading a book this last week, and, and there was a chapter where this, this fella had a um, true story, and he had never actually, he had lost touch with his father, and he'd known his father as, a, as an elementary age student, but middle school and high school had lost touch with him. And in his early 20s, he traveled to where his father lived, and he started, he said, I started interrogating him. You know, where were you born? What's your mother's name? All these things. And his father said, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to get to know you. He's like, how do you get to know people? Do you go on a date and ask the girl 20 questions? You spend time with them. And so then he said, I stopped asking my father questions, and I just started spending time with him. And they, they said, we, we went and we fixed his fence together, and we went and we um, you know, went shopping, and then we, we made dinner together, and we watched, uh, he was into racing, so we watched racing together and then talked about it. And then at the end of this, this trip, he said, his father said, what do you know about me? And he began to say all these things that he had learned about his father, not from interrogation, but from time spent together. And, and every week as we get together in small groups, as we serve together, uh, I've learned, where I've learned and gotten to know people in any church I've ever been a part of has either been through serving together in a ministry or being part of a small group. And Jesus modeled that for us. Reach the lost, do it in community. And he was focused on reaching the lost. The Pharisees, these religious leaders, they go, what are you doing? Do you understand how that looks? Because they were only concerned with themselves and how they looked and being respectable. If any church, but if we if we are focused on ourselves, if we are focused on ourselves, then we won't care about the lost or the sick or the hurting or the dying. I heard the story of a, a church that was having a, um, a leadership meeting and somebody was talking about reaching people and somebody said, well, why? They know where we're at. They can come find us. We're in the phone book. Jesus went out and connected. I love, I love the things that we do that are out. I love uh, Egg Hunt will be coming up in a couple months. I love that. Carnival. I, I love being connected where we can. And all of us have opportunities to do that, to be out, to be connected. But if we're only focused on ourselves, then we won't care about the lost, the sick, the hurting, and the dying. And that's, I think, the thing that Jesus is getting at. Verse 17 is the key verse. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus wants Faith on Hill to be a hospital, not a country club. Now, I have never been part of a country club. But I have a couple of times been to one. And country clubs, what are they? Well, they're, they're a place where members come and you play golf or tennis. This is what the movies tell me anyway. And, or you sit by the pool. And, and you just do things for your own enjoyment. The Pharisees were inward focused. What can make us look good? What can be for our benefit, for our blessing? And they were sick themselves, by the way. When Jesus said, I have come to call the sick, it includes them. 
It's funny how some of the biggest sinners I've ever met were faithful churchgoers. And I'm not talking about you, unless I am, I don't know. I mean, maybe if that's the Lord talking to you. But I do, I do remember um, going to a funeral, and everybody's, you know, because people lie at funerals. Right? This is true. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. People are going to lie at your funeral. I'm hoping they're going to lie at mine. Say nicer things than they should. But afterwards, I knew the pastor, and he looked at me, and he said, that guy was a jerk. <laughs> and what I, what, the, what, the reason I'm saying that is this. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were part of the sick and the lost that Jesus had come to save. But they were so self-focused, they didn't know it. Country club churches, churches that are only focused on themselves, they will see, I firmly believe this, and I can back it up because in addition to being the pastor here, I'm also the very, 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 very part-time director of church health for our conference of churches. If you're thinking, well, is he spending all the you know, church's time on that? No, I spend like two hours a week on Friday morning, which is my day off, um, doing a director of church health stuff. But as I'm digging into it and getting to learn some of the stories of some of our churches and some of them that have been so inward focused for so many decades, and now they're seeing their cities and their neighborhoods die around them, and they have zero impact. If that church shut its doors, nobody would notice. And not just their community, their neighbors, people they don't even know, but their own kids and grandkids are spiritually dying and sometimes literally dying because of the cause, uh, the effects of sin. And if we're inward country club focused, if we just say, all right, we got to make sure that we have all the amenities we want, everything's nice like we wanted, everything is so we're happy, then Milwaukee and Oak Grove and Gladstone will continue to die. The darkness will continue to grow. And not just that, but my kids, your kids, your grandkids, your, your nieces, your nephews, anyone that we're connected to, it'll, it'll happen to them too. It's not just people we don't know, it's people that we do know. You know, one of the reasons we have kids' sermon like we do is so that our church can never forget that we have a next generation. It's easy, you know, we, we send them over there and we build them a nice room and they can stay in it. And they'll leave us alone in here, right? You ever been in a church like that? I was on staff at a church, and um, at the end of the Vacation Bible School kids outreach, the pastor was telling kids to be quiet because he was talking to one of his friends. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to last at this church. And I didn't. Um, But I was like, man, you're missing the point. We're not here to talk to our friends. We're here to... At at VBS, we're here to reach these kids. And Jesus had come to save the lost. All of us have something we prefer. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Some people, you know... I, I, let, me, let me give you like a really common example. 
how loud should the music be in church on a Sunday morning? I have been doing music in church for a long time, and I've found it just personally, it's about 50-50. And you'd be surprised who likes the music loud. It's not who you think. <laughs> she just went home to be with the Lord, but I remember this, this lady um, at, a, at a church we were at years and year, years ago, and um, she, was, she was the one that was like, turn it up. Like, really? Because your grandkids are telling me to turn it down. But I found it's about 50-50. People like to hear their voices or don't like to hear their voices when, when the music's going. And so we're actually a little bit intentional about that. You might notice, like, even the way that we make the songs flow, like, sometimes it's quiet and then it gets big, but then it gets quiet again, because we, we're just trying to split the difference. But if, 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 if we prefer the music loud, and I'm going to let you in on a secret, I prefer it loud, but everybody out there preferred it quiet? Or if you prefer the music quiet and everybody out there was like, yeah, turn it up a little bit. Do you have the heart that says, if that will connect with the lost people that Jesus is trying to save, then we'll do it. One of the classic church stories I heard growing up as a kid and Dorinda, you've heard this one, is the, the, the story of there's a church down in, in California, down in like LA area. It's right by the beach, and they just put in brand new carpet. And then all of a sudden, surfers started coming to church, but they'd go surfing and then come to church, and they'd be in their flip-flops or just bare feet, and they're just filthy dirty with beach sand. And somebody's like, all of a, one day the pastor comes in and there's this sign, you know, no, sh no, no shirt, no shoes, no service kind of sign. And he tore it down before anybody saw it. And somebody said, we just put brand new carpet in. And said, the pastor said, well, then let's tear the carpet out. If that's what it's going to take so that somebody who's going to hell goes to heaven. If that's what it's going to take so that a family that's broken can start to heal. Hospitals, not country clubs. I've got five more minutes, but I don't think I need to talk for five more minutes. Amen? Yeah, somebody said amen a little too loud there. <laughs> but as the band comes up, I have no idea what God's spoken to you. Whether it was something I said, whether it was something that you read as you opened your Bible, whether it was something that God spoke to you in your heart as you were you know, yelling at your kids or your husband to get ready, you know, whatever it was that God spoke to you this morning. But we have a time for responding. And yet we take an offering. And um, if you're visiting, we're not here for your money. We're not trying to, you know, squeeze, squeeze you. So you can let it pass. This is a way for people that this is our church, that we support what God is doing here and we worship God with our giving. We open this for prayer. If you need prayer, just turn to the person next to you. Can you pray with me? And we have a, a time of response and singing. But however God has spoken to you, whether you need to respond in prayer, whether you need to respond in giving, whether you need to respond in just belting out a song, or you need to just sit there quietly and, and say, Lord, speak to me. However God has spoken to you, we invite you to respond to him. And this morning, if you are one of those lost, and you know it, and maybe you've been coming to church for a while, but you know it. 
This is the invitation. Jesus said to Levi, and you're like, well, I'm so bad, God couldn't use me. There's, you're not worse than Levi. I'll, I'll bet it. You're not worse than Levi. And Jesus said to Levi, follow me, and he did. And Jesus says to you, follow me. And so there's an invitation, follow him.